in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. I'll be reading, uh, I'd like to start in, at the end of chapter 12, verse 28. This is the inerrant living word of God. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. We do praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we can even come before you. Thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross, for the power of the resurrection. Lord, may our hearts be open and teachable this morning to your precious word, and I pray that you'd lead us through your Holy Spirit, that we might be doers of the word, not just hearers, and that we would rejoice in your word and apply it for the glory of your holy name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I believe many of you know that <clears throat> for about 18 years, I was teaching in and managing a program at the University of Nebraska, and uh, I was training uh, professionals from other countries who came here to understand how to communicate better. And, of course, they all had di uh, many different goals. Some of them came uh, because their company told them to and they had no choice. Uh, some of them came to have fun, and I believe they did. Some of them had a lot of fun and didn't do much study. Um, and we have a, a student here in the front, and I'm sure he's not in that category, uh, Hakaru from Japan. You might like to meet him uh, today. Uh, but they came to learn to communicate for business purposes. And uh, some of them, actually, they came to lower their golf score more than anything. But uh, besides that, uh, many of them, I, I hope most of those 600 or so that I knew over those years, uh, learned to communicate uh, in a better way and relate in a better way. And I noticed uh, after a very short time that uh, those who focused on relationships, they would grow and retain much more of what they learned. Uh, those who would focus on enjoying relationships, not so much hitting the books when some of them did that, uh, not so much the mechanics of communication, but they focused on relationships. They enjoyed them with their host families and uh, with the teachers and their fellow students. And uh, they enjoyed their time much more and they benefited much more because they focused on relationships. And uh, I'm finding <coughs> the more that I grow in Christ, the more interested I am in, in uh, growing in relationships and developing them, uh, that was not the case when I was younger. Uh, I do thank God very much uh, for the relationships in this body. And, uh, but as I mentioned, when I was young, that was not important to me. Uh, I had maybe a couple friends in the neighborhood, and for a young boy, that was sufficient. And especially for me, I have a twin brother. And so you have a built-in uh, person to play with all the time or you know, fight or whatever. But uh, in fact... If, if fighting and wrestling is a means of, of uh, relating, uh, we had a great relationship. Uh, you know, and we did. My poor mom had to put up with a lot. Um, but that changed, of course, when we were uh, drawn to the Lord. Uh, and I started studying this passage in Hebrews originally because I'd been meditating on verse 3. And uh, Phil mentioned that verse this morning and prayed. We've been thinking a lot about the persecuted, our persecuted brethren and so I meditated on that for some weeks, and uh, I was thinking about what is my relationship to them? I mean, how can I develop that? And what is my responsibility to my persecuted brethren? And as I did so, of course, I looked at the context of that verse, 
I, I memorized that passage, but I was meditating on that verse, and then I started thinking of the verses around it. And then I actually I looked at the whole book of Hebrews and reviewed that. But in the context, I begin to see that to serve God acceptably, which that verse 28 mentions, there are some relationships which I must cherish and I must develop. And so that is what this, uh, this message is about this morning. And in verse 28 of Hebrews 12, I begin that because it starts out uh, the concluding remarks, really, of the author of Hebrews, who is Paul or a, a very Paul-like person. Um, but this is on how to apply all that Jesus, uh, that he had just taught about Jesus from the book of Hebrews. And he starts out by saying, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace. He's saying, okay, we are receiving this kingdom. Let us have grace. And we have now a better high priest in Jesus Christ than Aaron, uh, who is also a superior sacrifice, and in whom we have received an internal and unshakable kingdom by faith. And the coming of the Lord Jesus really did shake the old foundation of the sacrificial system. It shook it up uh, uh, quite a bit. And because we're now citizens of the unshakable kingdom, Uh, of Jesus Christ. We've been given grace. He's poured out his grace on us and we are to uh, give grace. We're able to give grace now. And so it goes on, let us have grace by which we may serve or worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. Only the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ enables us not only to worship and know him and relate with the living God Uh, but to also have a relationship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, which is pleasing to him. Now, God is a consuming fire. What does that mean in terms of relationships? Uh, It took me a little thinking on that, but I got to thinking of flame, you know, the flame of the Holy Spirit uh, dwelling in me, that the the flame of God, you know, fire, I guess, does several things, but at least it consumes and it also purifies. Uh, I believe the fire of God, the the Holy Spirit, consumes the Lord's adversaries and those things which do not please him, And yet it purifies us, his children, and it purifies our relationships with each other. Praise God. So I'd like to look at those relationships now. First of all, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Now you notice that it says let. So what it's meaning here is that we have the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so the love of Christ dwells in us. And this love for each other should be growing. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It shouldn't be held back. It uh, shouldn't be allowed to lapse or to grow weak. And yet it does. And we're to let this love continue. And yet we're supposed to stir it up. And you remember several weeks ago, maybe more than that, Rodney had the illustration of the lemonade and the pulp and the sugar. You know, eventually if it's just sitting there, it just settles down to the bottom and you have to stir it up. And we have to do that also in terms of our love for each other. And we'll talk about that in a little more in a minute. In Romans 12, it says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. And then in 1 Thessalonians, several verses, uh, one in chapter four says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Exactly. God is the one who is teaching us to love one another as we submit to him, as we seek him. And then in uh, 1 Thess 3, Paul was praying, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. And we as elders pray this uh, often as we gather that you would not only increase in love, but abound in love, that that it would be overflowing here, that it would be abundant and that would be more than you can ask or think in terms of uh, the ability to express love for each other. This is a fruit of the spirit and it will be growing in you. And this kind of love should characterize any true church of Jesus Christ. Any gathering of members of the unshakable kingdom will have this in increasing measure. And we can see it growing here, praise God, in this church. But how is it stirred up more? Hebrews 10.24 says we're to uh, stir up or consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So we're supposed to think about, well, how do I do that? How do I stir this up so that I am loving as I should? Well, first of all, I'd like to suggest uh, that you pray, that we all pray for each other. You know, it's hard to be angry at a person you're praying for. You can try that, but it's really hard. Uh, And, you know, it's hard to be unforgiving toward a person you're praying for also. Are you, uh, let me ask the question, are you praying in a systematic way for the brothers and sisters in this congregation? 
This is a ministry that isn't very uh, overt, it isn't very visible, but this ministry of prayer is extremely, it's foundational and it's vital to the health of our body here. So I would encourage you to pray. It takes time, I know. It takes effort. It uh, takes scheduling even. It takes a knowledge of the scriptures. It takes faith. But it is what we are called to do and what, what is needed in our body. Secondly, I would recommend that you physically serve other people. And again, I believe we're growing uh, in this church, and it's a blessing to be involved in this church. Believe me, when you come out and cut wood for me, I appreciate your service. Um, but, you know, love really grows as we do that. I, I just I enjoy those times very much. I, I get pretty stiff, uh, like I am today, but um, after cutting wood. But uh, it grows as you serve and as you work to bless other people. And um, if you feel you're not loving as you should, as you want to be, serve others. In 1 John 3.18, it says that we should, we should love not just in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth. So we're called to this. Uh, point three, I would recommend that you learn to listen and pray that God would make you a listener. And then you can speak the truth in love. If you don't listen first, you're less likely to speak the truth in love. And speaking the truth to each other is a very loving thing to do. We need to do that. Proverbs eighteen thirteen says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is a folly and shame to him. And then fourthly, uh, I would like to recommend that you sometimes review your membership vows. I would recommend doing it on maybe the date you uh, became a member. But whenever, I'd like to read just two uh, parts of uh, the membership covenant. This is under the heading, uh, I believe, in in an every member ministry. It says, I will obey the commands of Scripture which call for a covenantal relationship to one another. We made this vow. I will seek to be in covenant relationship with my brothers and sisters in the Lord. And then below that are 39 uh, verses, one another verses uh, that would be wonderful to look up and, and uh, meditate on. So, brothers and sisters, we should let brotherly love continue. We should let it abound. Actually, we should pray that it would abound and work hard at stirring it up. Not just assuming it's just going to happen. We can stir it up, and we should. Verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. We are not to neglect showing hospitality, not only to our brothers and sisters here, but uh, even to those anybody who crosses our path. And uh, now this word entertain here actually means uh, showing hospitality. It isn't probably what you might think of the, as the prevailing meaning for entertain in our culture, although hospitality might involve that. Uh, but as we'll see in a minute, it involves much more than that. Hospitality uh, ranked very high as a virtue in Hebrew culture, uh, even in some of the cultures around Israel at the time, such as the Greeks. Uh, for example, Zeus was a, I don't know who cooked him up or what group of people cooked him up, but Anyway, he was called the patron of strangers. And maybe some of you have read this, that uh, you know, he'd dress up and, and he looked like a wanderer and, and uh, he'd go up to homes and if they took him in, he'd bless them. If not, they really got nailed, I think. Um, but uh, uh, you know, the Jews were certainly noted for this uh, also. Uh, just, just thinking of Abraham in, in Genesis 18, you might, think, you might remember you know, when uh, he showed great hospitality to the Lord and to the two angels, in fact, he, he was very gracious. He, he was completely at their service when he saw them uh, as guests. And uh, he ran to them, first of all, which is unusual. He ran to them, and then he bowed his face to the ground, and then he washed their feet, and then he fed them very well. And he, at the end, this is what he said, that you may refresh your hearts. And that was his goal. His goal is to refresh their hearts, and that's a good goal for uh, hospitality in all of our homes uh, to refresh the hearts of others. Um, a couple of passages here that are related. Matthew 25 says, uh, tells us that if we are serving others in, in the Lord, we are serving our king. It says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And then later in verse 40, it says, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, meaning the disciples and other Christians, you did it to me. 
And then in 1 Peter 4, it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Well, yeah, that probably wouldn't be too hospitable if, if you're grumbling when you did it. You know, here, take this. You know, it wouldn't be quite the same. Uh, so we should be hospitable and have a joyful attitude in being hospitable and be joyful that we can even do it. And then in uh, 3 John verse five, verses 5 through 8, he was talking about the brethren here and about, the, and about strangers in, in your midst. And he said, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. So we're supposed to, as people come into our home and as, we, uh, as they experience our hospitality by the grace of God, we are supposed to send them forward refreshed and refreshed of heart. So how do we do that? First of all, I would recommend that uh, if you want to grow in this area, you observe people who are gifted in hospitality. There are many in this congregation. And uh, without naming names, um, you all know there's a, just down the street, there's a big gray house on a corner. And, you know, many of us, most of us have eaten a lot there. We have prayed there. We have cried. We have uh, enjoyed their fellowship very much. We've played games there. Um, and, you know, there are many others among us. Uh, there's a place in Iowa, by the way, who we can do the same thing at. In fact, we can have conferences there. Um, and there's a, there's a place in Springfield. There's a place in Louisville. We've uh, had fireworks and tried to blow things up there. Um, now, I'm not sure if the stewards of these uh, various homes always felt that they were entertaining angels. <laughs> but... They, they did open their homes to us. Uh, they, they loved opening their homes to us, and they served us as serving the Lord. And so we can learn from them and thank God for them. So secondly, I would, uh, besides observing those people, uh, secondly, I would uh, ask God to give you a heart to serve and the means to do so if you, if you generally do not have the, those means. Uh, some people are gifted in this, uh, but all of us are called to be hospitable at some level, and to grow in this. And men, uh, this should not be done at the instigation always of our wives. Although much of the work of hospitality may fall on their shoulders, uh, we actually bear the responsibility to make it possible for hospitality to happen in our homes and to make it happen. And, and so the use of our home, we are responsible for that. And this is how our children are going to learn to be this kind of people as we do that in our home and they will learn the joys of hospitality and then thirdly i would recommend that you see yourself as a steward of all that god has given you and then offer these gifts from him uh, in the service of his body and may the lord keep us from hoarding or uh, covetousness and make us a content and a giving people so hospitality is very important for growth in christ likeness and it should be pursued it should be developed with joy so Brothers and sisters, exercise hospitality and through it develop relationships with those the Lord brings into your life. Verse 3. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. This is the verse that <clears throat> I originally started meditating on that caused me to study the context and then Hebrews. Now here we're commanded to remember the prisoners. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are bound captives, who are being tortured, who are being uh, persecuted in some form, and who are being mistreated. And not only are we supposed to remember them, but we're supposed to, uh, as Phil uh, talked about, we're supposed to, in a sense, put ourselves in their shoes, which is hard for us to do, obviously. Uh, but we're supposed to put ourselves in their shoes and think about what would it be like to be chained with them. And so we should inform ourselves of what that might be like. And you can do that on various websites I'll mention in a minute. Now, if you were chained with them, of course, you're experiencing the pain and the hunger, all those things. Uh, but hopefully, if you were chained with them, imprisoned with them, you would seek to encourage them as they would you. You know, thinking of Paul and Timothy in the prison. You know, by God's grace, we can do those kind of things. So, uh, again, I, we need to inform ourselves of what is going on out there and try to imagine in some small way the degree of their suffering uh, because they are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Hebrew Christians were already doing this. In Hebrews 10, verses 32 uh, through 34, it says this, 
But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So these Hebrew Christians uh, knew suffering. At least they were very close with people who had suffered. And they could more than imagine, really, what their brothers and sisters were going through. And yet Paul uh, urges them. He says, remember them. Okay? So I think it's all too easy to, remember, to not remember. It's all too easy to forget. Uh, and, but for one thing, because it's hard to comprehend. It's hard for us to comprehend this, to understand the reality of this kind of persecution, because we haven't seen it much in this country, and we haven't experienced it. But our brothers through the ages have. And even now, in, as Phil was praying, uh, countries in the Middle East and in Asia, Vietnam and China, I mean, even Germany, there's a homeschool family whose children were taken away. And certainly they are being persecuted. And yet we are also in the body, it says. Now, at first, when I read that, uh, and as I always read it through the years, I, I always thought, it, well, yes, we are in the body of Christ. Uh, and yet that, that isn't uh, actually what this part is. We are in the body of Christ, but in this section, it means that we are in the body. It means we are weak also. We, we have experienced at least some hunger, some pain, some persecution, even in this country. And uh, yet we are to try to understand more the depth of their hunger and their thirst and their loneliness and their ridicule and their mocking and the mental anguish of being denied a job that can't supply the needs of their family and their children are taken away. Uh, we are supposed to um, think at some level about that. So, and we may, of course, someday face uh, some, some persecution like this. So how do you remember the persecuted? In the relative comfort in which we live, first of all, we must pray. And as I was meditating on this verse, I was going more and more often to the Voice of the Martyr uh, website, and they do have, uh, and you can have them send you weekly uh, prayer reminders, and there's usually two or three people, and they'll tell about those people. And when you read those, it's, uh, it's you know, um, I pray and, and I think, these are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Why, why is it so easy for me to not remember them? But uh, persecution.com is a great website. That's uh, Voice of the Martyrs' website. And there's another one called International Christian Concern, and that's persecution.org. Both of them are great. Both of them have a little different... Uh, way of doing what they do. Uh, International Christian uh, Concern is more advocacy, putting pressure on governments, not only ours, to recognize that, you know, we do all these things in our government, but we're not recognizing those who are persecuted. We're not uh, helping them, but uh, also uh, putting pressure on the other governments. And um, today, (coughs) as as you know now, uh, it's International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. I would like to suggest that as a family, and as couples, as individuals, that you would uh, pray this week, each day this week, for some of these dear people. Go to these websites, sign petitions. I have uh, here a petition for Asia Bibi. We've prayed for her a number of times. There's about 12 or 15 slots, and then I will mail it in. Uh, And what they do is they take this and they'll send it to, uh, in this case, because she's uh, Pakistani, they'll send it to the ambassador here in the United States from Pakistan, and they'll send it to Pakistan. And then, as Phil mentioned, there's a, a, a site called prisoneralert.com. And in that, uh, you can look at the, the various uh, prisoners, and you can write to them, and you send this in, and they will translate it. And a- as much as possible, certainly, they will make sure that letter gets to this brother or sister in Christ. And, uh, I mean, can you imagine the impact on them to receive this letter from a brother and sister in the, in the Lord here? And then... Um, I ordered uh, some Voice of the Martyr prayer cards, and uh, I got a lot. They sent me a whole bunch. So take as many as you'd like for your family and take them to others you might think uh, would be blessed by this, and you just tear them, and then you pray one a day. Uh, I have a whole stack of them here, so please ask me about those. Secondly, I'd like to recommend that you, um, those with children, uh, well, whether or not you have children, you should read about 
these believers being persecuted. And it's now possible to do that online in books. Um, so we, we have no excuse to at least not try to be informed um, so that uh, we would want our children to grow up knowing that being a Christian involves persecution. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's not a healthy thing, I believe, for our children to be unaware of what is done to the body of Christ around the world or to think that what happens to their brothers and sisters in Christ uh, and many their same age, many of those who are persecuted and who die that I see on these websites are children. And they should not uh, have a, an understanding of there is an impact on them. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. So part of it, and, and I believe part of any history curriculum for homeschoolers should be Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, Tortured for Christ, those, those books. Now, Re- Revelation 12 says, now when the dragon saw that he, the enemy of our soul, when the dragon saw that he had been cast uh, to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, to our Lord And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. We are at war. But praise God, in Revelation 12, 11, it says this, and they overcame him, the dragon, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they love not their lives even unto death. They overcame him. He's overcome, but they can overcome him now on earth by the blood of the lamb recognizing the sacrifice of the lord jesus and the word of their testimony bringing the word to bear in the situation that they're in now when persecution comes i would recommend you know this verse hebrews 12:3 consider him that is the lord jesus consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not become weary or discouraged in your souls. And I believe our brothers and sisters, whether they have that memorized, know this. They consider the Lord Jesus as they're going through what they're going through. And how could you endure otherwise? I don't know. So remember the prisoners, the persecuted as if chained with them, who are being mistreated and relate with them. We can have a relationship in, in a, some degree. We can relate as we, as we pray for them, as we read about them and as we write to them. Verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now the marriage relationship, of course, is to be held in very high honor. It's God's divinely ordained institution, and uh, the Greek word here for honorable actually conveys uh, of great price and very precious it's esteemed and especially dear. So marriages, marriage was established by God to alleviate loneliness, to uh, provide companionship, which models the companionship that we can have with the Lord Jesus. And this uh, complementary relationship uh, in, in marriage in, in, uh, between the husband and the wife is the basis for the development of the family and civil government and gives the ability to carry out the dominion mandate. So with all of those things, it should be highly esteemed. And in most cultures, I think it still is somewhat recognized as the foundation of social order uh, and, and the family, but uh, even though they don't know the biblical basis of that. Um, and yet, yet we see all around us how the enemy is working to divide. The enemy is working to put asunder what God has united uh, through the pernicious impact of pornography, certainly uh, the media, and its low estimation of marriage, it's, you know, just kind of scoffed at, really. Uh, there's, you know, the sexual roles that are being perverted and even allowed, even encouraged by so-called church leaders. Uh, there's easy divorce laws. There's the impact of feminism. All of those things are uh, seeking to divide what, what God has made here. Uh, but we're commanded here to honor our marriage relationship. And again, part of the enemy's tactics in in this war, I think one of the biggest ones probably against marriage has been to break this precious relationship by encouraging sexual infidelity, making it as possible as he can. And since sexual impurity and unfaithfulness undermines marriage, it's especially condemned here. It's judged by God. Now, this relationship, of course, must be cherished and highly honored and developed. And it can't be just assumed that you start 
and it just kind of happens. It keeps going. Uh, it has to be worked at very hard and uh, to keep it holy and pleasing to the Lord. And if we're not vigilant, vigilant I'm sorry, in growing this relationship, in nourishing it and protecting it, uh, it, it is possible that it will suffer. And we can see all around us the consequences of not being vigilant, not working hard at this, because you reap what you sow. So there's depression, there's loneliness. Uh, since uh, companionship, the companionship that God intended is divided uh, or marred. And there are certainly economic impacts, not only on the family, but on society uh, from broken families. There's plenty of emotional pain when marriages break or they're struggling. And then there's physical consequences just from the stress of it all. So how are we to grow in this relationship? You've probably heard these before, but Paul often says, remember these things. So I'm going to remind you, first of all, resist all that puts this relationship asunder. In Matthew 19, Jesus, uh, uh, some Pharisees were trying to test him and they were asking a question about divorce. And Jesus said, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder, meaning easy divorce laws, you know, you should not put this asunder. Now, this verse usually brings to mind, you know, when you hear it at a wedding, you think, yeah, yeah, other people shouldn't mess with this new young couple. Uh, but, but actually, uh, I think it's also referring to the couple, to the, to the people in the marriage. Uh, we are not to put it asunder, uh, you know, allow it to break in any possible way. So we ourselves should do nothing that cracks this relationship. Now, men, I just a quick address to you. Um, I would like to recommend that you learn and apply Job 31.1. It says, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes. I have made a covenant with my eyes. And we should flee from the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul because it wages war against our soul. It wages war against our marriage and it wages war against our wife, wives and our children. So we should flee from those things, make a covenant with our eyes and then and then uh, maintain, we need to maintain a holy marriage. Uh, if, and we can't do that if we watch what defiles our minds. Look at Ephesians 5.3 later. And ladies, uh, I would recommend that uh, you respect and uphold the leadership of the family given to husbands by God in the beginning. And the proper complementary roles will break down if you do not honor and respect your husband. Secondly, I would recommend that you take a lot of time to develop your marriage relationship. And I think for most guys, you know, when I say a lot of time, you're thinking, yeah, wow, five minutes a day, you know, that's, you know. But no, I'm, I'm talking serious time here. And so I would make it a priority. And if you think you have talked enough with your wife, go way beyond that and talk another hour or whatever it is. And young men, you young men who are getting ready for marriage, I... One thing I would highly recommend, besides this, I guess, would be to, uh, to listen. And then when you think you've listened enough and you can't listen anymore, listen a whole lot more. And you will find that that is what you need to do. So, invest in your marriage. You know, husbands, we're to love sacrificially, as the Lord did, dying for us, uh, which means balancing your tasks. And you have tasks. You have legitimate tasks. And it's hard. I know I've talked with many of the men and it's hard to balance those. You are required to provide and protect. And sometimes you wonder, do I have enough time to do these other things with my family? Uh, but we're supposed to, that's part of being sacrificial, by the way. Uh, you sacrifice your comfort and your plans sometimes with her need and their need for a relationship. And we're to wash our wives in the water of the word, meaning we have to be in the word at some level, certainly, uh, and bring it to bear in our family, for their sanctification. And men, you know, we don't have to be smarter than our wives to do this. You know, uh, many of us, our wives, are smarter than us. But we are called to do this. We are given grace by the living God to do this. And uh, we have to do it. It's vital to the relationship. So lead in this way. Wives, uh, I would just say that uh, the Lord will honor your sacrifice as you submit to your husband as to the Lord and for the Lord's honor. Now, your husband has a lot of weaknesses, and you know that more than anybody, but vows made to the Lord are bounding, and you have the major role in building him up so that he can do what he's called to do. What you want him to do, what you need him to do, uh, is, will happen as you encourage and pray for him. Uh, so don't undermine what you truly want, um, and don't make it harder for him to lead. Now, both of these roles demand humility and grace uh, that only the Lord gives. 
So focus on the Lord together and uh, let's honor marriage and our relationship with our spouse by cherishing this relationship and developing it. Verse 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now at first, as I was thinking of this and as you think about it now, uh, it, it, first I kind of wondered, well, how does this fit into the theme of relationships? And I think it fits in a very, uh, in a very important way. Um, these things, you know, the things that we have from God, we, have, we can have them as being relationship enhancers, those things that God has given us. They can enhance relationships or they can detract from relationships. And we have to be very cautious. In fact, in Matthew 6, it says, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve both at the same time. You can't be devoted to both at the same time. Uh, and we're to be free from the love of money and the uh, supposed security of accumulating possessions for the purpose of our comfort alone. And I'm not saying you can't have things. I'm not saying you can't even have nice things, but uh, they must all be submitted to the use of the master. And if you don't have all you want, well, at least don't expend everything, uh, especially relationships, to get them. In 1 Timothy 6, we won't read it all. The whole passage is great. Uh, but in 1 Timothy 6.18, regarding uh, your use of money, basically, let them, and he's referring to, uh, in the previous verse, those who are rich in this present age. And I would suggest that that's all of us. But he says, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. In other words, we are to use what God has given us to invest in eternal things. And, okay, what's eternal? Okay, think about it. You know, people are eternal, and relating has eternal consequences. So let's ask God to uh, enable us to do that. In, in Luke 12, it says, Take heed and beware of all covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Uh, but you wouldn't know that uh, by understanding the prevailing culture or watching you know, TV or commercials. You, you wouldn't know that at all. You know, the meaning and the purpose of your life has, a, has to do with relationships, first with the Lord and then with the people he brings into your life. You are more than what you have, certainly. And uh, again, you wouldn't know that by our, the culture we're around. So uh, our relationship with things does impact our relationship with people. Contentment allows you to put energy into developing relationships and to expend yourself for others. But discontentment and anxiety or maybe fear over material possessions can occupy your mind and your time so much that you don't have the strength or the desire to serve or to take the energy you need to relate, and it takes energy. So how do we grow in contentment? Just uh, two, two brief ideas. How do we free up energy for relationships with people? First of all, ask God to give you a heart to use all that he has given you for kingdom purposes. So ask God to give you that kind of heart to use everything he's given for kingdom purposes and to keep you from covetousness. And I believe we have to pray that God would keep us from covetousness because we live in one of the most materialistic uh, cultures uh, on earth. And uh, it, it's, it's very easy to uh, get our minds occupied on those things. So um, we should ask God to help us to submit uh, everything to him. In fact, we are submitting ourselves to him as a living sacrifice, and we are also called, I believe, to submit all the things we have as material sacrifices. They're all his. He was good in giving them to us. So everything you are, everything you have, should be on the altar submitted to him. Secondly, uh, I would pray or I'd ask the Lord to give you a giving heart, one that looks for ways to give. Now, you know, Phil has mentioned many times the, the phrase stewardship trust. We've all been given stewardship trust from the master for his service, certainly too for our enjoyment, but for his service primarily. And part of developing a giving heart, I believe, is to tithe and God will create in you a content heart if you obey in this area and if you trust him to provide so that you may tithe as he has called us to do. Uh, also, I believe it's important for us to meditate on promises of provision, his promises, especially if you're struggling with this area, then uh, if you're struggling with discontentment and you realize it's impacting your relationships, 
meditate on Isaiah 41.10, Philippians 4.13 or 19, uh, all of 2 Corinthians 9, and this passage from Hebrews 13. And may the Lord keep us from idolatry. So, brothers and sisters, believe God's promises here that he will never leave you or forsake you, nor forsake you, and be content so that you can use what he's given you to develop relationships for his glory. And don't allow things to become relationship detractors because they can use them to allow you to enhance relationships. Verse 7, remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Here again, we're urged to remember as we were in verse 2. Uh, verse 2, it was in the negative. It said, don't forget to entertain strangers. And then in verse 3, we saw remember the prisoners. So, but here, we're reminded uh, to remember those who uh, are rulers because it's, it's easy to forget in all of those cases. It's easy to forget others' needs and to forget our responsibility to develop relationships with them. You know, last week, Rodney shared how it's just very easy for us to love ourselves it is very easy to do that. So here, though, we are urged to remember those who rule over us or who guide us, those who have spoken or are speaking uh, the word of God to us. And not only to remember uh, what they've said, you know, the content of what is said, not only to remember that, but uh, to remember the fruit of their character and even the, the progression of their faith and the outcome of their conduct. And, and it says to act like that. It says, whose faith follow. So we, sh- we should also remember, by the way, those who have died in the faith, uh, martyrs, and remember those who have suffered for the faith because they're still teaching. They're still leading us, uh, as it will, uh, by their writings. You think of, well, just look at the list in Hebrews 11, but also you know, Augustine and Luther, Calvin and Knox, uh, the Reformers and the Puritans. Uh, they were faithful to the end, and they are good role models for us still. And they're examples to us uh, to emulate And like Abel, by their faithfulness, though they're dead, they're still speaking. Now, later in this chapter, in in chapter 13, in verse 17, it says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, respecting those whom the Lord has put over us can be and should be actually a great blessing. It says it's profitable. It's advantageous for our growth in the Lord. Now, leaders are to be under shepherds of the great shepherd, of course. We're, we're to guard the flock and be like watchmen at the gate and to sound the alarm in, 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 the, sign, in the case of danger. This is our calling as elders and, and uh, for which we will have to give account. And I would tell you, and I will speak for my brothers, Rodney and Phil, that um, we don't take that lightly. We... Um, and let me tell you, when I meditate on the fact that I, will, that I will give account, and I praise God for calling me into this, but uh, I praise God that he gives grace to do what he's called to do. And we live, we live by grace. And we will, uh, I will ask him in a minute for your prayer. Uh, but we would plead for you to pray for us. We, we do love this flock, and we do realize uh, we have many weaknesses. And uh, so we would ask that you would uh, pray that we could serve with joy and in the fear of God. So how do, we, how do we grow in relating with our leaders and elders? How do we remember those who rule over us? First of all, uh, you know, to follow the faith of another, you have to spend time with them so, uh, and to observe them. So uh, learn more about the path of, uh, of faith to, and growth in our lives. Uh, communicate with your leaders, uh, not just when there's a need. You know, you can seek us out. And we do desire to spend time with the men in the church and the families here, even more than we do. Secondly, pray, because the enemy will attack the leader and his family. In Second Thess 3, it says that the word, Paul said, that, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. And then in Romans 15, Paul said, I beg you that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. So, to strive together with and for your leaders is profitable for you because your leaders are a means of defense and uh, their ability to lead uh, and protect impacts your safety. So remember your leaders and pray for them, relate with them, uh, emulate them. Now the final relationship is really not the final in order. In fact, without it, uh, the other ones cannot uh, be carried on. Um, 
Actually, it's the one on which all the others are based. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same yesterday uh, he, as he was at the council, in the Council of the Godhead from eternity past. He is the same today. Now, when that letter was written today, you know, back several thousand years ago, uh, looking back, the author said he's the same today as he was when he revealed himself uh, in uh, Genesis. And it also means that he's the same today for us, 2,000 years after the cross. He's the same even now, this day, this moment. He is the same loving, almighty, all-wise, forgiving God of grace and the Savior of his children. And Jesus Christ will be the same forever. He's unchangeable and he's immutable. And in uh, Malachi 3, it says, I am the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed. We would be consumed, and rightly so, if our Lord was changeable, if we had a changeable God. And praise God, we can have a relationship with the one person who never changes because as good as the other relationships can be uh, by his grace and and, and should be growing in, uh, they will change since we and the people we relate with uh, are always changing. Now, by the the grace of God, uh, Christians are being changed into the likeness of the Lord as he sanctifies us from one degree of glory to another. So in that sense, yes, praise God that we're changing, that people are changing. Uh, But, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes. You know, people are changing all the time. Um, You know, people think you're starting to understand relating with this person, and they change, and you change. In fact, after almost 27 years of marriage, every once in a while, in fact, lately more so, I'm not sure why, but uh, we'll look at each other, and and she'll say, I didn't know... 27 years ago, you thought like that or you had this experience or something like that. And, and we just, uh, you know, it just kind of surprises us, you know. We're still learning and still changing. And so my bride has changed uh, and her knight in shining armor has changed. In fact, uh, the armor's more tarnished than, than uh, she knew in the beginning. But, um, and kids, I would like to uh, just speak with you for a minute. You don't know how challenging it is for your parents because you change all the time. In fact, in some periods of your life, you're changing so fast. And I'm not talking about your body or the clothing size, you know, that we have to, you know, it's hard to keep up with. But you're, you're, you change a lot. And so I would uh, like to suggest that you give your folks a little grace uh, when you think they're not changing fast enough. But the fact is that Jesus Christ never changes. And he gives us the stability to be able to develop all these other relationships in uh, he is the stability of our times it says in isaiah 33 and he is our rock and that the picture of that is a rock and they were talking about a big rock it's uh, a symbol of something that cannot be moved and it can't be changed it, it changes it doesn't wear away even by uh, many years of rain so we can't have um, we we by the way are supposed to be rooted and built up in him it says in colossians rooted and built up in jesus christ and we can't have weak roots in him and hope to have a strong plant, or weak roots, let's, for example, and have, hope to have a strong plant. You cannot have a weak relationship with Jesus Christ and hope to have strong interpersonal relationships, any of these that we've discussed. But the beauty and the joy of the gospel is that we can have joyful and healthy and growing relationships with him and through him. And it's possible, no matter how broken your relationships are, you feel right now, it is possible by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, your enemy and your flesh will resist the growth of your relationship with the Lord Jesus. Uh, but the Lord gives grace, and you can pray that he would fill you with a desire to know him. And like Paul said, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Paul cried that out. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. So the question I would ask, are you growing in your relationship with the Lord Jesus? the one who died for you and loves you with an everlasting love. Make it a daily priority to have a personal devotional time with your Savior. And really the whole book of Hebrews, as I was thinking about it, is making the point that there are no longer any rituals, uh, ceremony. You don't have to go and kill an animal to be able to come before the Lord uh, to meet with him and relate with him. Those were necessary and those were pointing to Jesus. But the door is open now. The invitation has been given in the gospel. Come to him and develop your relationship with him as a loving servant to his master. And you know, it's incredible, really, that we can have a relationship with the living God of all creation, and yet we often don't pursue him as we could. And that pursuit, Phil has been talking about in First Samuel almost every message. 
He's talking about David's pursuit after God. Are you pursuing him? Are you following hard after the living God? Now, there are many resources to help you in this. Uh, two that Phil just gave uh, Rodney and I this week. One is uh, called Exercises for Developing Close Intimacy with God. It was wonderful. And if you'd like that, let me know. And he also gave us an outline of prayer, as an hour of prayer. And you might think, how could I pray for an hour? But it, it has a very good uh, structure. Some of the, you, you maybe have already seen that. So if you'd like either one of those, uh, please let me know. I'd like to end by fathers and husbands addressing you uh, because your zeal in this, in, in your devotional life, in your heart of hunger for the living God, will encourage your family. More than you know, even without words, your example, your desire to do that will have a huge impact on your, your, your wife and your family. So to conclude, brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want right relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, not only here, but those who are persecuted, if you uh, want growing relationships with strangers uh, through hospitality uh, and, and an outreach to those who don't know him, if you long for a deep closeness and a oneness with your spouse, with your marriage partner, and if you see the importance of relating with those who rule over you, then delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see that he is good. Pursue him and your relationship with him, and he will give you joyful relationships with others, and these will be relationships that are acceptable and glorifying to him. Let's pray. Lord, you are a God who relates and communicates, and we are made in your image. And because that image has been marred by sin, Lord, grant us grace to grow in you and so be able to grow in delightful relationships with others. Lord, fill us with the joy of meeting with you daily, with a thirst to relate with you in deeper and deeper ways, and so be rooted in you and built up in you. Lord, we pray that this church would be full of people who are relating in the power of the Holy Spirit, and because of that would have an impact on those around us far greater than all that we can ask and think. And we pray this for the glory of your name, And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.